Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Match Point Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. We're here for another episode as we continue on with our clay court swing in the midst of the Madrid Open, one of the last uh, Masters 1000s of the clay court season before we arrive at Roland Garros. And this week, Mike, you had a chance to speak with a terrific Canadian doubles player, who is planning a return, Sharon Fishman. Yeah, so great to see Sharon, uh, you know, I don't want to say on the cusp, but definitely getting closer to returning to action on the WTA. And, you know, it's it's easy to forget, uh, you know, because it's been about a year and a, almost a year and a half, really, since she's been off, surprisingly, how well things were going for her before that injury. She was approaching the top 20 in the WTA doubles. Uh, her and Juliana almost had just played the WTA finals that November. Everything seemed to be clicking. And then unfortunately, and all too often, you know, we see this in the sport, an injury can really derail that progress. So she's had a, a, a tough go of it. Um, one positive, which she shares with me in our interview, is the fact she's been through this before. So she's used to coming back after a layoff. There was that two and a half year, you know, sort of retirement where she came back to the sport. She's had other injuries as well. So she is well versed in what it's like to come back to tennis and know that she can still play some really great tennis. So I think you feel similarly that when she's on her game, she really gives Canada another great asset uh, in the toolbox. And even just an international, you know, regular WTA competition playing for herself and with her partner, a very formidable doubles player. Yeah, without question. And I can't wait to see her back on the court. And of course, uh, she has experience in the field of media and broadcasting as well, commentating on tennis. Uh, Without further ado, let's listen to your conversation and interview with Canadian tennis player Sharon Fishman. Pleased to welcome back to Match Point Canada, one of the top tennis players here in Canada. She's also become an excellent tennis analyst away from the court, and you might have seen her recently covering Canada's Billie Jean King Cup tie in Vancouver. On top of it all, she's just a really great human being, and so pleased to have you back on the podcast. Sharon Fishman, how are you? Good, thank you. Wow, what an introduction. Really appreciate that. <laughs> I put that thank together you. all on my own, okay? <laughs> Good to be here. Thanks for for having me back. Yeah, well, hey, look, you've been one of the uh, regular returning guests each year on on the podcast. So Ben and I are both really grateful for that. And it always seems like you're up to something different, either, you know, returning to the court or taking a little bit of time away to focus on other initiatives and and things that you do. So maybe just to start, uh, you know, what has 2023 been like for you so far? Well, uh, you pretty much summed it up. I've had, uh, I've done a little of this, a little of that. Um, I've done some work with Tennis Canada, traveling with uh, some of the top juniors in the under 16 category, uh, which was really fun. So I I helped out um, and got to work with some great, great athletes um, earlier this year, even earlier, I guess it's still early technically. Um, then I, I did some work with Sportsnet, which was really fun for the Billie Jean King Cup. And then I've also done uh, some work privately with um, a couple of players. Uh, one is on tour, one's playing on the junior tour. So um, it's been a blast in that sense. I am at the same time still uh, rehabbing. Um, I had uh, something happen to my knee um, towards the end of last year. So that's been a bit of a slow process, but it's... Um, it's in the right direction, which is promising. So I'm happy about that. And at the moment, I'm aiming for a summer return. Um, and I'm doing everything I can to um, make that possible. And at the same time, I am 
keeping myself busy uh, off the court because that's just me. I, I, I really do enjoy life um, outside of professional tennis and I've found a lot of peace and happiness in my life. So I'm just trying to embrace that while also trying to um, get in competition shape. Really glad to hear that. And, and it seems like when you are away from competition, tennis is still very much a, a big part of your life and, and putting on the coaching hat is that something new for you? Because I, I, I'm not sure if you've done that before um, um, this this uh, m- most recent go at it, I guess. Yeah, uh, it actually is. I, I took, a, well, at the time I thought I had quit in my uh, mid-20s uh, for two and a half years. And in that time, I did some coaching and, and loved it. And that was something that I always knew I was going to return to whenever my career was going to finish for the final time (laughs) and um that's just been something I found a lot of joy in while I've been rehabbing um this past year and a bit uh first with my shoulder and and now with my knee so um you know I I think that that's brought me a lot of peace and and joy as well as and and to be honest it's also been really great to keep me in tennis and keep me in high level tennis uh i on the court for my own purposes i can't train i especially you know as as the time has gone on i've been able to incrementally increase the amount i'm training now i'm on the court more days of the week than not which is great but you know um it's just also been a good way to get on court more without um you know putting the the load on my body but being able to watch from a different perspective and and help different players. I find coaching also really helps me. So um, doing my best to find that balance. And the great part is I've been working with players and athletes that I just truly enjoy being on court with. So um, I'm really happy. And at the same time, really excited to get back out there. But it's definitely something that uh, I have loved to do while I've been off rehabbing and certainly something I'd like to do uh, when I do eventually decide to retire. And when you're there coaching a player, you're courtside watching them and, and with them throughout a tournament, is that kind of increasing your desire to get back on the court yourself? Or is it in some ways maybe saying to you, hey, this is a nice alternative and something I could see doing, you know, moving forward as well to fill that void? You know, um, it's it's the latter. <laughs> Um, I love tennis and I'm so grateful for everything that this sport has given me in my life. It's made me who I am and it's brought me close to the people um, that I have in my inner circle and I couldn't ask for a better uh, inner circle. So I love that. I love everything the sport has given me. Um, I've been playing it a long time. So I am at a point where I'm able to sit on the sidelines and uh, observe um other players competing and not feel like I need to I want to you know I'm fighting off the urge to jump out there and grab the racket myself uh I'm a lot calmer than I used to be which is great for me I mean I feel a lot better (laughs) and uh it's in general not not the same feeling as I used to now if you asked me that question you know a handful of years ago I probably would have said uh you know definitely makes me want to to get back out on court ASAP but right now I'm more in a space of just enjoying it uh, from a different lens and um, I'm hopefully going to be enjoying it the same when I get back out there. Well we're definitely looking forward to, to seeing that happen I can speak selfishly I love seeing you out on the court and seeing what you're capable of doing and things are going just so well for you too you know before these injuries crept up 
And, and I didn't realize that it's been so long now, actually, in a sense, like November of 2021 at the WTA finals, which what a great accomplishment, you know, in some ways, maybe a, a career defining accomplishment at that point in time for you must have been such a huge boost in that sense. And then having to take all this time off. Um, what has that been like being being away for so long? And, and how do you envision coming back to the tour? Do you have like a, would it be the start of the hardcore season that you're maybe aiming for ideally? Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a while for sure. Uh, sometimes I forget how long it's been. <laughs> I've been busy uh, keeping myself busy. So I've, I kind of have a bit of time blindness, but yeah. Um, I am envisioning coming back um, for some of the, I think there's a, a, a um a sequence of clay court tournaments in Europe in the summertime. So I was kind of eyeing that. I was thinking that could be a good surface just to, you know, get my body accustomed to typically clay is a little bit gentler um, on, uh, especially on your lower body. So uh, I'm thinking that uh, I have had tentative timelines before, so I don't want to um, latch on to anything. Hopefully it's earlier. That would be great. Um, but, you know, at the moment, that's what I'm thinking. And, um, you know, following that is obviously more hardcore tournaments, but that's kind of the rough time frame. And do you get to enjoy like a protected ranking or so many tournaments that, you know, you can get direct access to when you come back? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'll have a protected ranking of 22 in the world, I believe, something like that. Not bad, not yeah. bad. Yeah, not bad. And, and uh, I should be able to use it for 12 tournaments, uh, two of them Grand Slams, two 1000s, I believe, unless the rules have changed since I've been gone. Um, but uh, yeah, and then the rest are, are 500s and lower. So, um, you know, definitely a good amount of tournaments to get my feet wet. And um, I plan to play all use all 12. And um, and then just go from there, see how everything feels physically and, and uh, emotionally and mentally and just, you know, um, just take things sort of one one step at a time. Right on. Now, now in singles, when someone comes back from an injury, a little bit easier in the sense that you just show up, sign up for the tournament and off you go. In doubles, there's two of you and uh, you and Juliana had a nice partnership, obviously, uh, before the injuries. But I would imagine it's I don't want to say awkward, but is it difficult when you come back? Do you approach the you're your previous partner or do you have to make some new connections and kind of take it event to event until something sort of clicks and you can, you know, break in with someone new who's also looking for, perhaps for a, for a partner? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good question. Um, you know, it's definitely situation dependent. It, it changes person to person. Um, but in my case, I would be looking to partner up with someone um, that either is also coming back from an injury uh, and is ranked around my ranking, which would be, you know, uh, great, or someone that is, you know, doesn't really have a fixed partner this season and is looking for that. Um, so I would sort of do, you know, especially as I get closer to and I'm playing full out in practice and able to play every day uh, without restrictions, um, then at that point I'm going to start exploring. I've definitely kept in touch with a few people and, and have some ideas of what I'm thinking, but um, you know, for the most part right now, I'm just thinking about getting healthy. And then from there, um, you know, especially at being mid season, when I jump back in, I think just accepting that I might have to, uh, do a little bit of, um, tap dancing, so to speak, and, and, uh, and potentially have to, uh, switch partners around. Um, but who knows, uh, it also could team up with someone and it could work. And, uh, that's the end of that. 
well, anyone who teams up with you is going to be lucky to have you beside them. And you've done it before, so you've already proven you can come back after a lengthy layoff and, and play your best tennis. Um, so, you know, all the best with that, of course, moving forward. And, you know, we'll add your list to a bunch of Canadians that have come back recently or will be coming back soon. And it you know, it's kind of too bad that we've seen the injury bug hit Canadians kind of hard, I feel like, over the years. What with, you know, Bianca and all she's been through, Jeannie Bouchard just coming back recently, um Milos Raonic from what I understand is also kind of aiming for a, a summer return after nearly two years off which is pretty amazing how how much do you Canadians I don't want to say lean on each other but but seeing that you've all had to go through this does that provide any sort of support system or confidence or, or even just knowing you've been through it before confidence to come back and and know that you can do it um that's a very good question you know I think in my case it's more the confidence in myself um, at this stage in my career, I, I think the most important thing is drawing on the confidence that, um, drawing on, uh, the, the experience, sorry, that I have had, uh, having to come back. Uh, we're all so different, you know, Milos, um, very different player, body type, also injuries that he's had to face. Um, and, you know, we all have to, uh, focus on what we need to do to get better, um, but, uh, you know, it also depends on how, how close other players are with each other. Uh, I know some of the players you listed, I know better than others. So, um, you know, that's also a factor. But personally, um, it's more just the fact that I've been there before. And also the fact that when I do start again, um, just kind of having a different perspective than I have in the past. Um, and looking at this as sort of my uh how should i say my um my last dance <laughs> this, this is it eh? uh that's the way i see it you know yeah. however long that lasts that lasts but this is going to be the this would be the third time i come back from a pretty big break um and i you know at this point uh, i would say that it feels like it's the last time i'm going to be coming back um, but I've said it before, so let's see. <laughs> Is there anything in particular that you're um, looking forward to to doing or accomplishing or, or tournaments that you're looking forward to playing? I mean, right now we're, I think it's exactly 100 days away from the National Bank Open, so the, the big premier tournament, and it'll be in Montreal for the women, I guess, this summer. Um, obviously, Billie Jean King Cup and, and representing your country, I know, has always been special for you. Uh, anything, I know you're not placing pressure on yourself to come back at a certain time, but when you are back and healthy, are there any uh, events or moments in the the tour calendar that you're really sort of excited for? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, the way I'm looking at it is I'd like to play the tournaments that I have truly loved. You know, um, I get to play two slams at least with my protected ranking. And if I do well and earn my way into it, great. But um, I'd love to play Wimbledon one more time. Uh, I Rome has a special place in my heart. I'd love to go back there. I've always enjoyed Indian Wells. I'd love to to play that one more time. And uh, obviously, you know, the tournaments in Canada, National Bank Open, um, being the biggest one we have at the moment, that's always a special one for me. So, um, you know, I think at this stage, I'm really just looking at like, where would I love to, you know, have my last tournaments of my career um, be played and uh, just going from that perspective more than like a strategy, um, you know, scheduling point of view. And fortunately, my protected rankings high enough to be able to get me into most tournaments, I think all tournaments that I'd like to play. So um, 
that's that's sort of my mentality at the moment. Right on. Uh, I wanted to ask you a bit about the uh, the international event, uh, the Billie Jean King Cup. How Canada did in Vancouver was really impressive, getting that win. Of course, they're going to be competing in the finals later this year. Um, you know, if everyone's sort of healthy and, and able to go, where where do you assess Canada? Both, you know, if you can wear your sort of analyst hat and player hat at the same time, where do you assess the strengths of of our team, our Canadian team? versus some of the best nations in the world right now on the women's side? I think that Canada could definitely win the Billie Jean King Cup. I think any team that makes it into the finals has a chance, but certainly Canada. I mean, we've got, um, if we have a healthy Bianca, a healthy Layla, Annie Fernandez, um, a healthy Rebecca, a healthy... You know, now we've got Carol Zhao doing really well, and we've got Catherine Sebov doing well, and then Gabby there for the doubles lineup. Um, I think that it's a pretty stacked team. I mean, Bianca's won the U.S. Open. Layla was in the finals. Um, both formidable players and both love indoors, which is where the Billie Jean King Cup has typically been held up to this point. So uh, I think that <laughs> we have a a very good chance to do some damage, definitely a good chance to take home the title. That being said, um, there's a lot of very good players that show up to the Billie Jean King Cup finals. So it's really, you know, who brings their best level in the right moment at that point in time during the year. Um, but I do think that there's potential for sure. And, uh, you know, I think also the fact that the men brought home the Davis Cup gives the women a little bit more fuel um fuel in the fire <laughs> absolutely you know it's it's we got such talent on both sides and i know canadian tennis fans have really enjoyed clearly what's been going on the last decade or so in terms of the rise of of the prominence of the sport here in our country and yet right now it feels like i don't want to say stagnant but maybe a little just a little bit of a dip a little bit of a, a slump perhaps i know that dennis has been struggling on the men's side to get that consistency we all know the immense talent he has even Felix finding, and he's in the top 10, but it's uh, it's hard to be consistent week in, week out. And on the women's side, I know, uh, you know, Leila Annie's had a tough go since that uh, foot injury at the French Open a year ago to get back to maybe that level. Uh, should Canadian ten tennis fans sort of temper their their expectations? I mean, we want to have those, those grand slams. We want to see those big moments happen all the time. Of course, very few countries in the world that can enjoy that. Um, you know, where do you, how do you think Canadian tennis fans should sort of assess the potential and the, the the talent that we have right now, both male and female. Yeah. I mean, I think it, you, you said it, I think you definitely at this point in tennis, um, I think it's at this point in, in tennis history, I would say it's really interesting because we don't really have um, the, the dominant players anymore. Um, even on like, I, I said this a while ago, but as soon as kind of the quote of the big three on the men's side were, uh, going to be retiring and bowing out, I figured there's going to be a lot more volatility, sort of like we see on the women's side, where there's, you know, dominant play there's some dominant players, like Iga Sviantek, um, I would say is probably the most dominant player at the moment. But, you know, we used to have, like, Serena basically winning everything all the time, and then the generation before her with, um, you know, Hingis and Raff and Sal, like, we don't have those, we don't have that anymore. So, uh, but what we do have is a lot of Cinderella stories and a lot of exciting um, things happen during um, 
big tournaments especially you have these players that were virtually unknown you know making runs and winning the whole tournament like Emma Raducanu for example and then um, you know earning their stripes and trying to find their their consistency throughout the year but uh, that being said I think it's just pretty amazing that that our our athletes have the potential to achieve such incredible things like winning grand slams and making the year-end finals and um and being in the top 10 uh that's something we didn't even really have in our converse as a conversation 10 years ago and i think it's also really important to keep perspective of the fact that you know the players we're talking about dennis felix uh layla bianca i mean they're all relatively young in their tennis career right these are these are athletes that are in their early to mid-20s at the latest and um you know we're seeing players uh playing for a lot longer and the average age of the top players now going up and up and up in age, you know, closer to uh, mid twenties, thirties. Um, so it takes time to, to find the, the maturity on tour and um, to get those adversity muscles and, and the understanding of, of how to um, ride the the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows. And, you know, also we, we talked to, uh, Layla last week in, in the interviews and she's still working on things in her game you know, she's adding things and changing things and uh, that stuff takes time to implement and to, to become um, routine and uh, you know as you're developing weapons there will be ups and downs so I think really important to, to sort of in summary important to to recognize that there's instability on both the men's side and the women's side on on both tours right now but, um, you know, it doesn't mean that they can't one day be um, players that we see consistently in the top 10, consistently winning titles. They are young. Give them time. Uh, be patient and be positive. That's the most important thing. You know, it's uh, it's such a different uh, day and age now with social media. So uh, positivity and encouragement. I find uh, you catch a lot more uh as it flies with honey than vinegar. <laughs> Something along those lines, right? Yeah, Something yeah, like I get it. No, well said. And hey, look, I don't think any nation out there, if they see Canada in the draw in their pool, whether it's Davis Cup or Billie Jean King Cup, I don't think any nation is going to think, well, oh, that's going to be an easy one for us, right? And so that speaks volumes to, to what we've accomplished. And you know, you're a big part of that too. And so, uh, you know, on behalf of Ben and myself, I just want to say all the best with uh, your your next latest comeback to the tour and we're very excited to see out there. Canadian tennis fans are very excited to see you out there as well. And I know your opponents aren't going to be happy when they see Sharon Fishman in the draw, you know, in their bracket either. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everything. There you have it, your conversation with Sharon Fitchman. And I, I've made this point before that we have such a short-term memory in this sport that you almost have to, you know, blink twice to to think that, wow, she was competing at the WTA finals uh, under two years ago, which is astonishing, really, because that, that event essentially hosts the best in the world from that season, which tells you the type of year she produced in 2021 prior to the injury. I mean, she was having a career best season, really. She had won the title in Rome as well, the WTA 1000 event in Rome, which she said in our interview holds a special place in her heart, obviously. And uh, I'm really excited to see what she can do when she's healthy. Uh, I think there's still a lot of good tennis left in her. And talk about someone who, you know, that sport has just given so much to her, both in her playing career, now as a, an analyst as well on television, as she mentioned to me, doing a little bit of coaching as well. Um, which could be something that that turns into a you know a bigger role for her once her career wraps up. But I think there's still a lot to be accomplished on the court. 
You hope that she can stay healthy and uh, exciting to hear that she's aiming to come back uh, early this summer with some clay court events in Europe, which she feels will sort of be the easiest way to transition, you know, back into the sport and for tennis fans here in Canada, hopefully get to see her in Montreal later this summer uh, at the National Bank Open there as well. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, that would be great to see. And that target date will be obviously in August. And yeah, we're almost at the two-year anniversary, actually, of that WT1000 win uh, in Rome on clay alongside Juliana Olmos. Of course, Rome is coming up, but we're in the midst of Madrid right now. Uh, we know the event has been extended sort of in that two-week window rather than just one week. And if we kind of check in on the action, Bianca Andrescu, I think probably both of us were surprised that she got back to the court so, so quickly, uh, given the horrific injury she suffered in Miami. But she was back playing an opening round match. She did lose to Wang Zhu in, in a tough three sets, but I'm going to take the positives from this, that she is healthy. She's able to last three sets and and she is getting a clay court swing before Roland Garros. And I think a player that can still be dangerous on the clay. She admitted to us a couple of years ago that clay was actually her her favorite surface. I don't know if that still holds true. Um, hasn't had as as much you know match play on the surface as on hard court. Certainly uh, the last few years, even with injuries and whatnot, that have sort of limited her play overall, unfortunately. But as you mentioned, looking at a positive uh, take on this, which is my goodness, she was back so much sooner than I think we expected. Certainly when she went down on court uh, with that ankle injury, many of us thought immediately, oh my goodness, that looks like it could be a season-ending uh, injury. And now here she is back, you know, just a few weeks later, really. So that's terrific news uh, for, for her, for Canadian tennis players. And, um, you know, I think she gives Canada a pretty decent shot on the clay of, of maybe making the second week at Roland Garros. I don't know if I'm putting too much pressure on her. I don't know if she's planning on playing the rest of the lead-up to um, to Paris or if she needs to sort of take it easy and see how things respond, not to overdo it. Uh, but but I don't see why, given a decent draw and gaining some momentum, we saw she was starting to play her best tennis again on hard court. Uh, let's see if it can transition to this surface too in the coming weeks. Yeah, hopefully. And uh, look, I mean, even this this first round match that she did lose, uh, opening round match, I should say, because she did have a bye, it was quite winnable because she was in a winning position taking that first set 6-3. Um, you know, I believe she forged ahead briefly in that second set before losing the tiebreaker and then things turned. And, you know, not only the fact that she's returning from the injury, but returning on a brand new surface. It's been a long time since we've seen Bianca on clay and everybody's sort of adapting and adjusting on the fly. So it, tough circumstances to come back to a WTA 1000 where all the best players in the world are. I'd love if she could sneak in a WTA 250 in there uh, along with playing Rome and Roland Garros. But I mean, if you look at the results prior to the injury, if we get any dose of that, there's no reason to think she can't make the second week. Yeah, and hopefully we can see some other Canadians that also are able to come back to the court and and produce some good results. Jeannie Bouchard, let's talk about her for a minute. She missed a ton of time over the last couple of years. That shoulder injury, first and foremost, that, that caused her to miss, what was it, about a year and a half. Um, and now she's back and playing on the clay again. And I think her results in Madrid are terrific. I mean, first of all, she got through qualifying Played Madrid for the first time in the main draw since 2017. So, wow, that's six years ago since she last played, you know, the, the main event there. And then she got through her opening round match against a fellow qualifier. So that was a really fine draw, to be honest, uh, against Diana Yastremska. And then taken out by the 18th seed, uh, Trevisan, 6-2, 7-5. But I think overall, 
this has got to be, you know, something that's making her fans really happy. She's got to be taking a lot of positive out of it. And I think Jeannie Bouchard, we've mentioned it before, still has something left at the age of 29 to give to tennis. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see her back into the top 100. The drive is there. She admitted that she could have called it a career during that lengthy shoulder injury and the more recent injury setbacks as well. But she wants to prove something still. Yeah, she she certainly does. Um, the competitive drive, as you said, uh, is certainly there in spades. And I, I think for Jeannie, you know, when we see her on the court healthy, I definitely think she is a top 100 player. I, I mean, that's been the biggest problem these past couple of years. You can talk about the fall off in form maybe after the 2014 season, which 2014 was really an historic season. What Bouchard managed to do, making two Grand Slam semifinals, finals of Wimbledon, obviously was unable to back it up. Injuries and, and form and, and probably, you know, succumbing to some of that pressure of, of expectation and, and what was kind of placed on the weight of her shoulders after that Wimbledon finals run. But now, I, I mean, she's look, she's still a popular name and, and a popular draw when she plays. It's just we haven't seen her on the court in a on a consistent basis. And when we have, when she had sort of reps and consistent match play in 2021, summer and fall before that shoulder acted up, she was playing well. I mean, she made a WTA 250 finals. She was making other quarterfinals. So I still feel like the form and the level is there now when she's back on the court. Uh, plenty of plenty of drama and fireworks after getting this victory. Looks, it, it was six years since she had won a WTA 1000 match in Madrid. Very memorably, six years ago, she defeated Maria Sharapova there, um, right on the cusp of you know Sharapova having the meldonium ban and the the doping issue come up. Jeannie spoke about that. She brought it up again after beating Diana Yastremska, who's had a ban herself. Uh, you know, <laughs> she deleted this tweet. Um, I, I guess I'll ask your thoughts on uh, Jeannie sort of weighing in and, and, and sort of stirring up some controversy and some some past history with Sharapova as well. Well, the fact that she deleted it shows me that, uh, you know, pretty soon after either she came, you know, to her senses and thought, oh, maybe that was a little bit much. Or perhaps someone from her team, you know, sent her a quick message, you know, mm-hmm. hey, maybe that's not the best idea. But but it shows me that a uh, couple of things. I mean, one, that there's definitely some competitive fire in her belly, uh, you know, and I think that's a positive, even if it's coming out in a way that, you know, maybe is stirring the pot a little bit more than, than anyone needs to. Uh, but it also shows me that she believes very strongly in, um, you know, the integrity of the sport. And that if she's going to make those comments, you knew that she was looking forward to playing Sharapova because she'd made some comments before that match. too, yes. And so that had some extra, you know, spice to it even before the match took place, let alone Jeannie getting the win. But it says to me that she really believes that, you know, tennis should be played the right way and that competitors should be adhering to the high ethical standards, you know, that you'd like to think they all do, but obviously don't. And, you know, I don't know all the particulars of the Stremska case or whatnot, um but but either way i think even if it came out maybe not the right way it comes from a good place with genie and that she wants to see the sport played cleanly well it, and it's it's quite interesting because a few weeks ago uh jessica pugula and other players were sort of asked about trash talking in this sport and i feel like since that conversation has been brought up it's been amplified so much i feel like we're getting one of these storylines every few days on the men's and the women's side more drama more trash talking back and forth uh something that Jeannie regretted because she she did delete it and she posted an apology uh yastremska's grandfather had also recently passed away which diana shared about so you know maybe the optics there were were poor 
And certainly she opened herself up to criticism because Jeannie hasn't been consistently playing or winning matches, obviously. So, uh, look, it was certainly trash talking. I find trash talking amusing and funny. Maybe this one missed the mark, uh, but if she wants to try in the future, uh, I don't necessarily mind it. If we continue on with the WTA side, uh, Lele Annie Fernandez losing to definitely a new phenom that we're going to have to keep our eyes on. She lost a 16-year-old, recently turned 16-year-old Mira Andreva in straight sets, and Andreva went on to beat Haddad Maya and Magda Lynette in succession before losing to Arena Sabalenka. She's the youngest player inside the top 200. The time they played their match, Andreva hadn't even turned 16, so that's incredible. I, I mean, maybe on paper it looked like a poor loss at first, and then you see the the run that Andreva was able to produce. So just another young tennis sensation that we're going to have to watch for. I mean, you think our players are young here in Canada, and Sharon Fishman and I talked about that, that even though you know, it might be a little bit of a, a slump overall for the Canadians right now, men's and women's, in terms of not having the success the tennis fans here might like to see. They are all still so young in that 20 to 23 range. And then you have a player like this come along. My goodness, there's even younger, you know, there's that next wave that's coming and no one's waiting around to allow those, you know, players in their early 20s to have their moment. You're going to get the, uh, you know, Alcarazes and and who knows if um, if in this case Andreva is is another one of these sort of prodigies coming along. But you know, no one's waiting. Tennis isn't waiting. The sport's not in a timeout waiting for some people to have their moment. There's always that next wave coming. And whenever you see a story like this, for me, anyways, it just gets me excited to know there's future stars down the pipeline, and and we're just we haven't yet discovered them. Is all. Yeah, exactly. And uh, with this performance, she's inside the top 150 already. Very easy to think she can be inside the top 100 before end of year, maybe by the summer, even if she continues this fantastic play. Lele Annie Fernandez, though, still alive in doubles with Taylor Townsend. They're into the quarterfinals. That Team Taylor name has caught on, by the way. Uh, we, we pulled we pulled listeners, you know, a handful of weeks ago about what's the catchy name. And I think Team Taylor sticks. I'm waiting for one. One of them to maybe reshare that name though so it can really get going on twitter but these two obviously have great chemistry together in doubles and i think that's been a positive for layla's season that even when she's been a little off with her singles game she's getting reps and getting victories on the doubles court yeah and i totally agree with that and uh, we should also mention we got another doubles player still alive in the draw and that's gabby dabrowski mm-hmm. along with luisa stefani the six seeds and uh, by the time our episode is live, this this quarterfinal match of theirs will already be completed. They're going up against number one seeds, Jessica Pagula and Coco Goff. So nice to see those two having, you know, a better result here. Uh, I think we've all been waiting for something, you know, for the two of them to really click because of their past success together. And uh, if, if they're starting to click now, look out, because when they were really going back in the summer of 2021, I guess it was, boy, they were one of the best doubles teams out there. So this is, uh, yeah, quite encouraging for Gabby and, and Luisa. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, on the men's side, Felix Ojeayasim, his first clay court match actually of 2023. And this is a tough draw because Dusan Lajevic was coming off that title last week. He was coming off the momentum from beating Novak Djokovic for the first time in his career. Obviously an opponent who is feeling in good shape and in good condition and Felix losing that match in three sets, 7-6 in the third. So I don't know if we should, you know, sound any alarm bell about Felix losing this match, but I definitely feel like he's got to get in a couple more tournaments before Roland Garros to be really sharp and in form with the change of the surface. 
Yeah, I agree as well. And and in my Tennis Canada bracket challenge this week, no disrespect to Felix, but I did have uh, Dusan coming through that match oh, against well. him. Uh, I just felt the way he had been playing lately and with Felix not having a ton of clay matches under his belt that it was ripe for the, you know, uh, upset on paper. Um, uh, Denis Shapovalov also going out uh, somewhat early, well, yeah, early as well, and uh, ha- hasn't been kind to him really lately, whether it's hard court or clay court. Although it seems like maybe a coaching change has happened for Dennis, and we've been talking about this for a while. Uh, Pete Polanski was not with him uh, in Madrid, and instead his childhood coach, Adriano Fuorivia, was there. Uh, this is a guy who's been with him for the long haul, so there's a real history there. Uh, Dennis has said before he's kind of like a member of the family. Uh, coached him at Wimbledon in 2016 for his junior title there. Uh, was brought along for the clay season in 2019 after Chapo split with Rob Steckley. And even a year ago, uh, Furorivia was there sitting side by side with Polanski for the clay court season. So we don't know if this is just, again, coming in for the clay court swing or if it's going to be a long-term partnership. Um, but I did get the the vibe while I was watching uh, from what the announcers were saying that it seemed like Chapo is kind of reunited with his former uh, coach uh, for the time being, at least. Yeah, and I guess we'll have to see if that's just an addition to the team or is now Polanski stepping aside and this is suddenly the full-time role. I mean, we've talked about the idea of a coaching change for a long time for Denis Shapovalov, and he's gone through a few names and and had a couple high-profile ones as well with Jamie Delgado, which was a very short stint, former coach of Andy Murray. Mikhail Yuzhny was a, another coach from years past who he seemed to have success with, but but that didn't last. And I mean, we've seen the same with Bianca Andreescu, bringing someone back from your childhood who you know very well on a personal level and then working together with them, which is what Bianca's doing with Christoph Lambert. Uh, maybe it's the same necessary for Denis Shapovalov. So we'll see if Adrian Fuorivia stays in his camp through the clay court season and beyond. And uh, moving forward, I guess that's it for the the Canadian men anyways. But hey, look, can only get better for Dennis and Felix moving forward, hopefully on clay. Uh, There's nowhere to go really but up. Um, Anything else you wanted to chat about before we move on to, I want to hear about your tennis bracket, who you got for for Madrid (laughs) in the finals, because I've, I don't know if we want to go to that now, or was there anything else you wanted to touch base on first? Well, we can talk. We can talk about the uh, certainly about the bracket challenge, and I, I have to say we've been getting. I, I know, you know, with Alcaraz winning so many titles, of course, this season and the way he's playing, maybe it doesn't feel like we've been getting extreme parity on the men's side, but we've been seeing a lot of upsets in the earlier rounds, which I've been really struggling with to predict. I, I didn't really you know, go out, go out on a limb here and picking Alcaraz for the title. I just feel like he's the best player on the planet right now. So I picked him for the title, but I've had some names kind of go out early in surprise fashion. Certainly didn't anticipate Aslan Karatsev making a run this week. Kasper Rude, he's really struggling right now, which is a bit surprising. He lost his opening round match in Madrid. One of the best playcore players. He's killing my brackets. Every time I pick him, it's not working. I know. And you keep thinking like, when's the tournament when he's going to, kind of flip a switch and, and turn it on and it just hasn't happened. I do want to touch briefly actually on Dominic team. You know, I know this wasn't a victory, but for me, he had the best performance of his season so far in his loss to Stefano Tsitsipas. Loses 3-6-6-1-7-6. It was high octane, incredibly competitive tennis. It was for me the best I've seen team play probably in a few years, really. Uh 
pre-injury, pre-wrist issues in 2021. So I think that's a really good sign for him, especially because he gets to continue on the clay, which obviously we know he's the most comfortable on with the two Roland Garros finals and and the titles that he's won. So I think team is trending in a really nice direction despite a loss. And I did take Pass in that match anyway. Yeah, I took Pass all the way to the finals, actually, in, in my bracket. So and and I got bored with always picking Alcaraz lately, so I just figured, ah, <laughs> uh, maybe he's gonna cool off. Maybe you know, Fair. he needs a little bit of a. So I went with Rublev. I got Rublev defeating CC Pass in my finals on the men's bracket. I'm currently sitting in 40th on the on the ATP for the year, so I'm doing well there overall. But I'm 102nd so far this week. So you know, uh, again on Rude and a couple others didn't go well. I'm getting absolutely butchered on the WTA side. Same. I, I sit um, 74th overall, which is, I think, respectable, but I'm 379th this week, and almost everyone I picked went down early. Uh, I had a Leila Annie Fernandez versus Paula Badosa semifinal, which um, oh boy, clearly neither of those are going anywhere <laughs> close to that stage. So uh, yeah. I need Iga to come through for me, but who hasn't probably picked Iga? So I think I just got to take the L this week on my women's bracket. Yeah, I had Paula as well to the final. I thought she'd been playing really well, but credit to Maria Zachary, uh, who hadn't played well the previous couple of weeks, but beats her in the round of 16, 6, 4, 6, 4. I have Iga winning it all. That's not, you know, much of a gamble. So I think I'm just inside the top 300 this week. So nothing really special. I did want to touch on quickly uh, Rafael Nadal. I mean, the previous update we had from the week before was him training, uh, changing his treatment for that hip injury, which was supposed to keep him out six to eight weeks. They were arriving at week 14 and deciding he's still not fully fit to compete at the highest level. Now, Tony Nadal just the other day said he believes his nephew will absolutely play at Roland Garros. Rafa did post a couple training photos on Instagram the other day. You know, I, I don't know if that alludes to an imminent return or not, but it, it suddenly looks like things are trending in a better direction, at least. If anyone can come back even at a best of five event and still be ferocious and contend, you know it's going to be Rafa Nadal at Roland Garros. So I, I still would put him top uh, top three, even if that's the first tournament he comes back to, just based on what's in his heart and how badly he wants this. And, you know, if, if he didn't want this at the utmost level, even after having, what has he got, 14 titles there already? Yep. Yeah. If he wasn't, you know, so so gung ho on getting number fifteen uh, or getting slam number twenty three overall and surpassing Djokovic, you know, he wouldn't put himself there. But that's just how much it means to the guy. And of course, we'd love to see that that happen. Um, one last thing for me here before maybe we wrap up, uh, we should mention it's a hundred days to go till the National Bank Open, or at least it was as of I believe April twenty ninth, if our information. Uh, from Tennis Canada was uh, on the money, which I'm sure it was. And so very much getting excited that we're now under 100 days to go to, you know, arguably our favorite tournament of the year, given that it's here in our in our hometown in Toronto and in Montreal. And uh, I'm I'm pretty stoked to think that we're already getting that close to it. Yeah. And look, this will be the first opportunity. I mean, fingers crossed for for health that fans get to see Carlos Alcaraz in Toronto. Uh, I mean, we're back. We're well beyond COVID. It will be, you know, full full ground stadium, side courts, and Carlos Alcaraz expected at the tournament. My biggest hope for for this summer is we get Alcaraz, Rafa, Novak all at our tournament in Toronto. How incredible would that be? Yes, man, absolutely. Bring <laughs> us, give us the the veterans, the legends, the up and comers. Yeah. We want all of it here. It would make for a pretty epic 
uh, and special tournament here in Toronto for sure. Yeah, no kidding. I'll, I'll also just mention Labor Cup in Vancouver, uh, third weekend of September. Confirmed Felix Ojeleasim, Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz, Nick Kyrgios, all on the Team World roster as of now. Team Europe uh, so far with Andre Rublev, Stefano Tsitsipas, and Holger Runa. So that will be a particularly interesting weekend event as well that I know you and I intend to go to. We, we need another Canadian in there. I think because it's here in Canada, uh, yeah. you got to have at least two Canucks on the team. So maybe Denis Shapovalov will, will join. Or maybe, who knows, could Milos Raonic be healthy and back in the swing of things and, and come on out and drop some bombs on the indoor courts there in Vancouver. That would be something else too, I think. And, uh, you know, I think this is going to be a, a more parity in terms of Team World versus Team Europe without Federer. Uh, I really don't know if you could see Nadal doing it this year, but who knows? And and Djokovic mm-hmm. hasn't committed either as of yet. So if there's no member of the big three there, just looking at the names that have committed so far, I say it's almost like a 50-50 to me. Yeah, it looks like a super even matchup on paper. And even Team World won it last year, their first victory of the uh, of the tournament so far. Uh, so that will be exciting come September. We'll be tracking all the Madrid Open action, guys, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. See you later.